As you are able, please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of your love, for the promises of our baptism, for the power of your word. Oh God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. There is a friendly, at least I think and hope and pray it's a friendly dispute that happens at dinners and social gatherings across our good town of Salisbury. The dispute is this. Which church in Salisbury is really the oldest? We share this dispute with our wonderful sisters and brothers over at St. Luke's Episcopal Church just a few blocks away. The dispute arises, you see, over just how we differ in accounting for our history. Before the American Revolution, the Church of England, which became the Episcopal Church, was the church, not just a church, the church. It was formal, it was legal, it was established. In English law, when a new county or colony was formed and legally codified, the Anglican Church was as well, right alongside it. And so in 1753, when Rowan County was formed, St. Luke's Episcopal Church also came into being. Now there is dispute because if you want to point towards the oldest historical document and use that as evidence, then St. Luke's has us beat. They have a piece of paper that says 1753. We at St. John's don't have such a formal document for a physical church until 1768, which was John Lewis Beard's deed for granting land for a physical church space. You can see this deed on display in the museum in um, the Faith Center. But that said, a church, the church, is constituted, as we know, by more than just a formal document. Take this for example. In the Roman Empire, Christianity was not made legal or formalized as a religion until the year 313, Constantine's famous Edict of Milan. Yet there was no doubt that a church was vital, alive, and working under intense persecution to spread the grace and the love of Christ for centuries before that. In 1747, 275, or I should say 276 years ago now, there is strong historical evidence that the first German settler, spurred on by hopes of rich land and a good future, settled here in Rowan County. These settlers would most certainly have brought with them the faith of the Lutheran Reformation, worshiping in small house churches until a pastor from Germany could be brought and a church building secure. These house gatherings became what we know today as St. John's. 
To be sure, this is an assumption, but it's based on a pretty strong, if not certain, probability. And we good Lutherans remembering our catechism days know this, that wherever the true gospel is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there the church is. Much to the friendly and comic ire of our truly good and wonderful siblings over at St. Luke's, the faith of the, of the Reformation in its original Lutheran style was alive and well in Rowan County in 1747. Even if we have to, for the sake of being good neighbors and for good historical record keeping, put a little asterisk after the number 1747. And St. John's, sisters and brothers, has continued to remain what I feel the confessions would define as a true church across these last 275 years. The congregation has adapted across the ages and in response to the call of the Spirit, the people, you all, and those who have come before us have been so very faithful faithful in supporting new building projects, faithful in raising up new pastors, faithful in supporting the work of the larger Lutheran church. The North Carolina Synod formed out of this congregation in 1803. Perhaps most of all, you and those who have gone before have been faithful in putting all of those resources to good and faithful use, sharing the message of God's love in Salisbury and across the world and growing in your faith and love of God and of one another. Now, this hasn't been without its challenges and struggles and complications from time to time. As we know, where there are humans, there are always going to be failings and imperfections. But this gives us all the more chance to lean into our faith, to embody the grace and the love of Christ, even if that sometimes can be a long and complicated and confusing process. Now, over the last 10 years, our G2G, Generation to Generation campaign, has, because of your faithfulness and the faithfulness of some saints that have gone before us, has culminated in new facilities like the Faith Center across the way, like the youth and children's space downstairs. These spaces are going to nurture and support the growth of our faith and the growth and the faith of generations to come. There's something to be proud of, generation to generation. Today, just after this service, we're going to dedicate the last of those spaces to be completed. Our newly renovated fellowship hall, which is below us, the church spaces behind the sanctuary here for our choir and worship staff, and the spaces and facilities of the Child Development Center across Jackson Street. Now I've highlighted this morning our friendly dispute with St. Luke's to draw attention to a very human predicament one that we have all experienced and probably have all participated in from time to time. You see, we humans love our partialities, don't we? Partialities are those unfair and unhelpful preferences and judgments that we like to draw. This brings us back to our text today from the Acts of the Apostles and the provocative statement from the Apostle Peter. He says this, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The statement, I think, is provocative because if we are honest with ourselves, we humans love to create distinctions and divisions. We love to erect boundaries. We love to set up borders. In short, we love 
to be partial. This has been our temptation from the very beginning. And for the most part, we are just so very good at it, which is to say we are so very bad at it. In the, first, in the story of the first humans and the first sin in Genesis chapter 3, the first humans were tricked, deceived into thinking that if they consumed the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's a tongue twister, they were convinced if they could eat that fruit that they would become like God, able to distinguish good from evil. But herein lies the problem. Precisely in gaining that power to distinguish, we fell out of right relationship with God. Precisely because we asserted our freedom to choose and trust in something other than God. And so our precipitous fall began, and our world has been full of unfaithful and destructive distinctions and boundaries ever since. We certainly know them in our own lives. Many of us have probably suffered from them from time to time. We love our partiality so much at least I think, because they keep us safe. They keep us secure. They keep us warm and fuzzy and feeling very self-righteous. You see, it's really easy to feel good about yourself if you can look to your neighbor and start to list off all the distinctions and differences that you have and use those things to start to put them down. Now, in our text for today, Peter is experiencing what is a powerful conversion moment. He's been taught to draw distinctions and partialities his whole life between the Jewish people and the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. The Hebrew scriptures, which he would have heard growing up in places, affirm this partiality. He's walked with Christ. He has seen the radical inclusiveness of his ministry, one that broke down norms and distinctions of that time, one that affirmed Gentile people and women and poor and the sick. But only in this moment, called by the Spirit to Cornelius' household, to these Gentile Jewish believers, does he get it. And I feel like the English translation that we have before us today, it wanders this moment down a little bit for the sake of conciseness. It says Peter truly understood. And in the ancient Greek, the word is a little bit stronger. It's a word that appears just one time in the entirety of the New Testament, this instance. The word suggests something like it's a realization that takes over, that grips him, that overtakes him, that converts and changes him. It's the realization, sisters and brothers, that the gospel is for everyone. The love and the work of Christ was for all people, that the Holy Spirit calls us together into an ever greater and expansive unity, one that honors and celebrates all of our particularities and diversity. This truth should confront and grip us as well, especially if we consider our own personal partialities and those larger ones that loom ever-present in our society. And so in response to this moment, Peter does what all good preachers have to do. Peter is compelled to preach, preach a sermon on Christ's message of peace and forgiveness. He can't help but remember and testify to God's love and grace and power on the cross and in the resurrection. And in so doing, the church grew anew. The Holy Spirit fell afresh as it does each time that the gospel is truly preached. And this, well, this was a scandal. Those circumcised Jewish believers present, it scandalized them. It scandalized 
the early church. And so in five chapters later in Acts 15, we see the great, the first great church council that meets in Jerusalem precisely over this issue. Are Gentiles, and that's most of us here today, folks, are we okay with God? Can we be grafted in to God's kingdom? Is the way of Jesus open for us? Thankfully, those church leaders met and were convinced by St. Paul's work and by Peter's revelation here that God shows no partiality. And this is found to be in line with many different passages, even in the Old Testament, certainly in the Old Testament prophets. And certainly this is in line with the way of Jesus. And Peter roots his message and his argument in the very act of baptism that we remember today on the baptism of Christ Sunday. The gospel ministry was started, you see, by John's baptism ministry in the wilderness. The work of God was affirmed in that moment by baptizing those new Gentile believers. Who can stop the baptism from happening? They've received the Spirit. In the life of the church and our liturgical calendar, today we remember and celebrate the baptism of Christ, which commissions his public ministry. Though it puzzled John in our gospel text today to have to baptize Jesus, as Jesus reminds him, the act was so very necessary. Yes, Jesus was sinless. He didn't need baptism to forgive his sins like we do. That isn't what baptism is all about. That's just one part. You see, at its core, at its center, baptism is all about a new and a restored identity. It's all about being claimed and affirmed by God as beloved. It's about grounding and rooting and anchoring a person in God's love throughout their whole lives. And yes, Jesus, like us, I'll remind you, was a human being. He had human feelings. He had human needs. And that need he probably shared with each and every one of us is that need to be affirmed, that need to know that he was loved. The gift of baptism, the one that we celebrate today, the one that we pass down across the ages, the one that we return to over and over again throughout our lives is that powerful reminder that God loves us, that God claims us, that God affirms each and every one of us, just like in that moment God split apart the heavens a dove alighted on Christ, and God's voice thundered out. This is my son, the beloved. I want you to hear that this morning, sisters and brothers, because we, no matter where we are coming from this day, are so desperately in need of being reminded time and time again, God loves you. God loves you. Yes, you, in all of your wonderful particularity. Yes, you, despite of all of your flaws and failings, renewed in the waters of baptism, we can rest confident in God's love, and we can take up God's power. A power to love with abandon. A power to tear down the partialities that hold you back from love. A power to come together as a family that glorifies God, as a family, as a church that spreads the good news of God's love and word and deed to all who need it. So as we go out today, I want to leave you with a question that I think should always confront us. 
but that especially might challenge us as we begin not only a new year, but a new chapter together in our ministry. Where are those partialities that hold you back? Where are those partialities that hold us back? I believe that those are the spaces that are calling us into ministry. How is God calling us forward to share the good news of God's love in new ways? How can we as individuals and we together as church continue to be agents of God's grace in our community? In 25 years, St. John's is going to celebrate its 300th anniversary. 300 years. Sit and think about that for a second. It's a difficult number for any of us to begin to wrap our heads around. And in the next 25 years, thanks to your faithfulness and generosity, and thanks to the generosity and faithfulness of those that have come before us, we are ready now, more than ever before, to join in that work of the gospel. And so as you leave today, hopefully to join us at the dedication after this, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to envision and imagine what those next 25 years might look like for our congregation. I want you to consider and to pray about how you can get involved in our ministries going forward. We have new spaces to use. We have new spaces to fill. And we have a world that might need God's grace now more than ever before. Sisters and brothers, let's get to work. Amen.